I'm so glad you're with us here today on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that especially now you can keep more of what you have. Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com are our websites. And coming up a little later, I want to talk about how to handle your credit cards and how to negotiate with your credit card companies. But right now, I want to tell you the latest information as it's available on the agreed to massive third wave legislation for quote unquote stimulus to deal with coronavirus. This was something that was a Herculean effort at a time where there's such a breakdown in trust between the political parties that they were able to, after some hollering at each other, were able to set aside the partisanship and rise to the occasion and do what they needed to for our country. And that's what we should have a right to expect right now. Now, I want to tell you the general framework of what is going to be available, although the mechanisms are not clear yet, because I need to explain how an emergency piece of legislation works. A small group of people come up with the general parameters and very general language, and then it's up to uh, people who are generally legislative aides, lawyers on Capitol Hill, to come up with the actual legal wording that's what's going on right now. And then following that, we'll have the votes and then the signature by the president. So in general terms, Americans who make up to 75000 a year will get 1200 bucks. Those with kids will get 500 bucks. And that is a first series of payments that if coronavirus goes on for longer than is anticipated right now as a disruptor of our economy, almost certainly there will be additional payments that will be sent to people. But that is almost um, not a sideshow. It is just a side issue for what is now going to be available for people who are unemployed because of coronavirus. Because Congress has come up with two things that are really significant for people that all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, tens of millions of Americans are now unemployed. So there is a federal booster shot for the unemployment insurance system that will increase the length of unemployment benefits available for an extra three months beyond what would normally be the case. In addition, there's going to be a 17-week um, enhancement of unemployment benefits that the design of it is for people who would be completely tapped out to give you enough money to see to life's basics. Now, one of the changes that occurred overnight is this unemployment compensation will cover people who work as independent contractors, freelancers, and people who work with app-based jobs like Uber or Lyft or anything like that 
who have lost that work will be eligible for, as best I know, the first time ever for this special enhanced unemployment compensation. So this is not being done out of altruism. Uh, But the fact that it's being done is important because it will provide a safety net to people who, under prior law, would have no safety net at all. Now, there's also a strong incentive in the new bill, I can't call it a law yet, but it's agreed to, where if you are a small business owner and you keep your employees on the payroll, you're going to be able to go to a local bank and borrow money from them for a period through the end of June. And if you pay your employees through that time period, the loan will, in most cases, be forgiven. So you will not have to pay back that loan. And uh, we'll see in the final wording what hoops you have to jump through because it's hard for government to do something like that without adding a whole bunch of spaghetti of complications. And then there will be a special loan facility that will be run by the Federal Reserve that will lend money to very large publicly traded companies so that they can continue to exist, not necessarily operate, but continue to exist so that when their segment of the economy comes back, that there will be uh, the ability for them to still be in operation and come back to life. And there are some other things here that more will come clear over the next 72 hours how they'll be implemented. But there's special assistance for local and state governments. I mentioned yesterday that state governments around the country are seeing their tax collections collapse. And so states have to operate on balanced budgets. And right now states are having to spend money far more than normal when revenues have disappeared. So there's special assistance coming for state and local governments. How that will be paid out, still unclear. Again, that's one of the principles. In addition, there's a big chunk of money for hospitals because hospitals are facing huge additional expenses that in many cases they're not going to be reimbursed for in the normal course of business. And so there will be money for them. And I'll tell you how I'm going to approach this for you over the days ahead is as particular components of the legislation become clear and the procedures for you benefiting from those specific components are clear, I'll break it down into individual parts of this and explain them so that they're useful to you in your own life and your own wallet. And we're alternating questions that you're posting at clark.com slash ask with producers Kim and Joel asking your questions for you. And Kim, you're up first. All right. This one is from Maggie. As a small business, we rent our store space from the property owner developer. 
My business has been shut down due to coronavirus, and hopefully this is just temporarily. We obviously want to survive this. Our landlord, the property owners, have not reached out to us to offer any relief on April's rent payments. What are our rights if we can't pay the rent this month? Is there a relief package that covers small business owners' rent payments to commercial landlords? I also want to be able to help my employees, but getting our rent covered would have to be step one in order for me to do that. So that is a great question that dovetails exactly what I just said about the loan authority that's being created for small businesses. And bringing up April 1st is so important because that's why there's such a big push by the Congress to try to get this done in the next 48 hours, likely, where it will be on the president's desk, because businesses are going to need access to funds to pay rent and to pay employees, if at all possible. So with landlords, most commercial properties, just like most apartment units, are owned by third-party investment groups. They're owned by big real estate investment groups, real estate investment trusts. They're owned by um, private equity firms. And the people you deal with as a commercial tenant are management companies, typically, that are just under contract to collect rent. They are not allowed to negotiate concessions on the rent or delays in paying because of the circumstances that we're in right now with coronavirus until and unless their owner group says, yes, you now have authority to negotiate with people. I mean, in reality, we have extreme vacant commercial space in the United States, and especially retail space. And landlords would be crazy to play this one hard with businesses because then they end up with a vacancy that later they're going to have a hard time filling. So if you're out of money and you can't pay the rent, you can't pay the rent. But as a practical matter, what's a commercial landlord going to do right now? And we're so early in this that if making the April payment is not feasible, don't make it and go to your grace period to see what the next few weeks holds. Joel? Hey, Clark, can I actually follow up real quick with that? Sure. Uh, There was another question. What if your landlord isn't a major commercial property holder, if it's just an individual? The individual's free to do what he or she wants to do. Even if it's, even if he owns retail space. Even if he owns retail space, that the individual owning a property has the right to enforce the lease as it exists and also has the right if he or she wishes to do a concession with you to ride through this with you at either a reduced rate of rent or allow you to catch up on your rent later, it is completely in the power of the landlord based on the contract you've signed for the lease. All right, Clark, let's keep talking about real estate. Bill has a question. He says, we are a week away from closing on our new house. We sold our previous home in the fall, and we're sitting on the cash from that. Currently, we're living in a rental. Considering the state of things, though, should we cancel the closing and keep renting? What happens if we walk away from this deal now? Well, you would have failed to perform on the contract if you 
required a mortgage to buy the property if the mortgage lender was no longer willing to supply the funds for the loan, that under your contract might be a grounds for you not to have to proceed. But otherwise, you have damaged the seller if you choose not to go forward now. And so this this is, there are going to be many, many stories like this, Joel, where someone is freaked out and doesn't want to proceed because it doesn't feel safe to. So I'd say think about your own situation before you choose not to go forward with closing on the purchase of a home. If your job situation is generally secure, then that would be a reason to consider going forward. If you're buying a home that you're comfortable being in for a number of years moving forward, that would be a reason to go forward. But if either of those are not true, if your job is already lost, if your job is at risk, that would be a circumstance where it would be a better decision to have your real estate agent contact the the seller's agent and see if you can negotiate a delay in the transaction because definitely walking away and killing it probably is not the first or second alternative. If there's a way to buy time and see what conditions are going to be later, then that may be the best alternative for many people. reason I say that is, remember, the seller wants the deal to happen, but they also live in the real world and they know what's going on right now. So negotiating a delay when you're consumed by uncertainty may be the best alternative available right now rather than looking at it as a red light, green light, I either do it or I don't. Maybe it's more a yellow light. This isn't the time right now. As we continue taking your questions on the Clark Howard Show, we are using a different format than normal to get to as many different questions as possible. Post a question for me at clark.com ask. And then producers Kim and Joel are asking your questions for you. And here's Kim. Brady says, I'm sorry to ask this rather grim question, but do typical term life level insurance policies have any sort of clause that they don't have to pay out in case of a global pandemic? And even if they don't, should I worry that a company, even if they're rated A++, might have trouble paying out on claims if the death toll is higher than we realize? So if we're going to go this dark, uh, let me just lay it out. So uh, a policy would not avoid paying you because we're in a pandemic. That I'm not aware of any policies that would have the ability to kick out paying your survivors because of that. On the issue of the health of life insurers, life insurers that were healthy going in have seen their stocks pounded like other stocks. The reason because they depend very heavily on interest rates in the economy and some interest rates, including on certain issues of the Treasury, have actually gone negative right now, meaning that holding those loses you money instead of making you money. So insurers are worried about where their income is going to come from. In terms of being able to maintain claims-paying ability, there's not much worry about that with this because as frightful as the potential loss of life 
might be with coronavirus, it is not an amount as hard as it is for those of us who might lose a loved one. In terms of actuarial issues and paying claims, it is not a major event. So that, that's such a, a cold thing. The other thing that is cold is that many insurers who sell life insurance also sell annuities. Their payments on annuities cease if somebody were to pass away, and that counteracts some of the costs to insurers they may have from paying out on life insurance policies. So as far as industries that I'm concerned about meeting their obligations, for now, I have very little concern for now about the life insurance industry. Great to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where we continue answering your concerns and questions about how coronavirus is upsetting your wallet. Both Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com are heavily focused right now on providing you up-to-the-minute information on your wallet in various phases, including one that we're getting a huge number of questions about, and that is, what do you do about regular bills like credit cards? So let's look at the elements of this. If you have lost your job, and you know you've heard me say credit cards are a low priority in the event you've lost your job. Your priority is to provide food to your family, to provide a roof over your head, and pretty much everything after those two is a lower priority, and credit card companies fit in that category. Credit card companies know that, and they don't want people to do what a lot of people did in uh, 08, 9, and 10, where people just went into a bunker emotionally and hid from the bank that you had credit card debt with. So credit card companies want to hear from you if you need a holiday from making payments. I know I've already received emails from two of my credit cards saying that they gave me advance permission that if I can't make a minimum payment this month, that I'm allowed to do that and it will not reflect on my credit. The best policies are where issuers of credit cards are sending notices just like that that I've received. Because as a practical matter, calling a credit card company right now is an exercise in frustration. The banks are having more call demand than they're equipped to be able to handle. I had a situation yesterday where I couldn't reach an organization and instead I did an online chat. It took 42 minutes in queue before it was my time with the chat. And actually their system was fine because I was able to see what number I was in queue, I started at 1,684 in queue. <laughs> Can you imagine? And it kept calculating and recalculating how long it would be to my time, and I'd leave the room for a while, and I'd come back to the laptop, and I'd see how much time was left. But I prefer these online chats to phone calls. The reason is, with the online chats, you can then print out a record of it, 
So if somebody says, your payment is waived for the month of April, you want more than their word on a voice, you want their word in writing. If they say they're not going to report missed payments till, let's say, till the month of July on your credit report, it's great if that's in a text message. You know, a, a, it's not a text message, but, you know, a messaging chain where you print that out. And so having, or if you don't have a printer, that you store that so that you have it later as an electronic record. But it is a routine kind of thing for banks that following a natural disaster, that they do accommodations for people in the affected declared disaster zone. We're in a different kind of environment now where essentially the whole country is a disaster zone. And that's why it's going to be harder to reach people. But the idea is the same that you only get if you ask. A lot of people are meek about calling a bank, calling a credit card company. But don't be meek here. This is your reputation. This is your money. This is your life. And if you don't advocate for yourself, there's nobody else to do so. Speaking of being a good advocate, if you have maintained your job, but you don't know what it's going to be like for you over the next 8 to 12 weeks with employment, a lot of issuers are offering specials because their cost of funds now is near zero, that for people with good credit scores still employed, people are being offered the ability to do uh, 0% balance transfers of existing balances. Uh, they're able to get new credit lines that may be larger than they already had. And so this is something that is a good strategic move for you if you are employed right now, your job seems secure, but you're not completely sure, to know that you have the access and availability to credit on good terms if things get tougher for you over the weeks ahead. And Joel, I think it's your turn to ask a question here. Yeah, Clark, David wrote in, he says, should I consider taking Social Security early because of the coronavirus? So I don't have enough to go on with that, Joel, to give anything other than the most general advice. And that is that if you have maintained employment, I would not now suddenly take Social Security earlier than you intended. If, as a result of coronavirus, you've lost your job and you're worried about being able to regain the income stream you had before, then you could go ahead and start receiving Social Security. The reality on receiving Social Security is that we err towards filing for Social Security earlier than mathematically is ultimately in the best interest of most of us. But uh, there's more interest right now in applying for Social Security in on people's parts because they're worried about their mortality. And they're worried that you know, here I am saying, well, you know, if you wait, you're going to make so much more money from Social Security over the years. And if you're worried, you're not going to have those years. 
that would be a psychological reason to go ahead and file for Social Security. Kim? Joe says, what are the downsides of using the mortgage deferments during the coronavirus pandemic? Will it affect my credit score or will they want all the money up front after three months? And then if I don't have it, would they put me in foreclosure? These are questions we don't have solid answers to yet, because although there are general federal guidelines for loans that behind the curtain, which are most loans that are underwritten by various entities of the federal government that allow for forbearance on a mortgage for up to 12 months in the event that you have lost your job, this is something only to use as needed because you're going to have to make up the payments. And how those payments will be made up is not clear. And there will be differences with different mortgage lenders and servicers how you have to make up those payments once you're done with deferring your mortgage payments with forbearance. So this is a tool available to you if you're tapped out. And I would take advantage of it if you have no practical way to take care of life's basics and also make the mortgage payment because you don't want to be in a position where you're using precious money you need for food or for other basic necessities that it's going towards a mortgage when right now you do, with most loans, have the ability to defer. On the, the turning point that will come when we get to later in the year when people return to work in greater numbers, larger numbers, and things return to somewhat more normal rhythms, that is the point at which, in a lot of cases, you'll be negotiating with your mortgage company how those unpaid months will, in fact, be met. A lot of lenders will likely add on to the length of your loan and add additional interest onto the loan. So if you had a loan that, let's say, in theory, was going to end in March of 2025 and you took three months of forbearance, your loan might instead end in June of 2025 with extra interest that's been charged. But again, this there is no hard and fast system or rule or regulation in place for that part of not making your mortgage payment today. And you don't just stop paying. Remember this. You must contact your lender. Joel? Clark Harlan says, my daughter had a beautiful wedding planned for May 2nd. It must be rescheduled to an unknown date. So what should I expect from the venue and the vendors, like the cake, the DJ, etc.? She is desperate to conserve money right now. I'm with her, and this and the wedding industry has been completely ad hoc up to each vendor how they're handling this. And so if a vendor will not release the funds, you can't make them give the money back. You can't make them say, okay, I'll do your wedding later with the money you've already paid. It is uh, completely uh, almost a Wild West kind of thing what's happening with various special events, parties, and weddings that were planned to go off this spring 
that now are in fact postponed. So I would negotiate from a position that, uh, of course, you are planning to have your wedding at a later date. And what is their policy for rolling the value of what you've paid forward? Because a lot of people in the wedding business have already spent the money you paid them in advance for the arrangements, the portion of their, your wedding that they're doing. So there likely isn't any cash sitting around for them suddenly to write you a check. Now, venues are totally tapped out because venues live on current revenue and there's no bookings at all. So even if a venue wanted to give back money, in a huge number of cases, they don't have the money to give back right now. So postponed events are going to be in the best position rolling the value of money paid forward. Kim? Ben says that he currently works for a major airline and was wondering what your advice would be in terms of being financially prepared right now considering the current state of the airline industry. He also wanted to get your advice on what's happening with airline and government subsidies. So there was a special carve-out in the bill adopted by the, uh, well, it's not adopted yet, but agreed to by the House, the Senate, and the White House, specifically for the airline industry. And so airline workers look like generally they're going to be in better shape, that you're going to be in better shape with your employer than people are in most industries. And the airline industry is getting $57 billion between uh, passenger airlines and cargo airlines in order to maintain fleet, uh, meet basic obligations, and provide for the labor force. It doesn't mean that as this drags on, that airlines might not still lay off a certain percent of their workers. Some already have, but the design of this is to keep airlines structurally sound so that when air travel resumes in a meaningful way later this year, that airlines will be able to do as they call it, spool up, because the aircraft will be there, the facilities will be there, and the workers will be in place as well. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. As we continue taking your questions that you're posting at clark.com slash ask, producer Joel is here with a question that's been posted. 
Yeah, Clark, Rob wants to know, with the economy entering a bear market, is now a good time to convert some of my traditional IRA balances to a Roth IRA? I have the cash to pay the taxes when I make that transfer. Well, you are in the catbird seat. You're in a very unusual situation, although it is possible that stocks could continue to decline. There's already been a huge decline, meaning that the cost for you of converting shares from a traditional IRA to a Roth has gone way, way, way down, roughly by about a third. So it it could get lower from here, but this is such a positive development in a negative situation for you that taking advantage of that and converting from traditional to Roth, the timing would be excellent. In addition, Many people will have general overall lower incomes this year, which if you still do have money available to pay the tax on a conversion from a traditional IRA to a Roth, it would be a very, very solid, smart move for your future. Kim? Daniel says, when the stimulus passes, do I have to accept the check? I don't need the check, and I feel like I'll end up paying more in taxes if I take it. So the check is cordoned off based on income designed to get the money to people who make $75,000 a year or less. And that is a system that was designed to make sure that people who made bigger incomes and likely did not, quote unquote, need the check to pay for basics were not included. And so if you are someone who is living very well, you make less than 75000 a year, what I would say is take the money and put it to work to help others with some charity or some cause that you really believe in because many people are, are going to be hurting and using funds you don't need to serve others, to me, is the best way you make the best use of it. Joel? Wayne says, Clark, I've seen references to less than zero interest rates. Does this mean that banks are going to be taking money from my bank account? Potentially, yes. So uh, don't freak out too much because most banks pay puny rates of interest anyway. But in order to try to get people to invest money again, One of the tricks of the trade of central banks around the world is to charge you money to have your money sit. So that's part of the strategy to get people uh, taking risk again and investing. So far, the negative interest rates in the United States are few and far between and pretty much basically symbolically below zero, but really at zero. The podcast normally would end here, but because of the unusual circumstances we're in, we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that I'd like you to have access to, and this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. And I want to tell you right now about an unusual move that is spreading around the country, and it is one where people who have chosen not to buy health coverage are being allowed into special enrollment periods. 
so far that has happened in states that account for about 40 percent of the nation's population and it is reasonable to expect that that will expand potentially nationwide either this week or next week the reason is it's a backdoor way for hospitals to be reimbursed for care that they're going to have to provide to people with coronavirus a lot of people who thought hey it'd be better to not pay the premiums involved with health coverage because they're so expensive I'll just take my chances a lot of people now are like maybe it's not the best idea right now to just take my chances and that's why states that control their own Obamacare exchanges have been reopening them and the federal healthcare.gov has not reopened except for people with special circumstances so let me tell you about that if you had employer-provided health coverage and that has ended you were then allowed outside of normal enrollment period to enroll for coverage now depending on your economic circumstances buying on the exchange you may have a big subsidy of your premiums it doesn't mean you won't have deductibles on coverage if you need it but it means that you will be able to establish health coverage and not pay large premiums and in some cases not have to pay premiums at all depending on your personal financial circumstances unemployment is obviously a, a big part of being able to get coverage without having to pay for it there's a lot of hoops to jump through take your time and here's something else I wanted to talk about today for many people one of the most difficult parts of this has been suddenly immediately losing your job the job losses are in the tens of millions across the country so this has been a brutal shock to people to suddenly be faced with going from a regular paycheck to no paycheck at all but I want you to know that if you are younger in a group that is not as much at risk which would be basically anybody under age 50 would certainly qualify in this circumstance unless you have a significant pre-existing condition that makes you more vulnerable health-wise to look at the huge number of jobs that are opening up in distribution grocery general merchandise retail food delivery of all types I mean just in the last day and pharmacies CVS hiring 50,000 people as quickly as they can Papa John's 20,000 Pizza Hut 30,000 I forgot what the Domino's number was I think it was bigger than either of those Instacart looking for today 300,000 additional people and all the third-party food delivery apps looking to hire Target hiring paying people bonuses if they bring in other workers Walmart hiring 150,000 people and Amazon still looking for apparently more than a hundred thousand people 
Now, why did I say under age 50? Because do you know all the people out working in jobs right now that will involve some amount of person-to-person contact are unsung heroes? You may not think of yourself as an unsung hero delivering food to somebody. You are because you're a vital link in people being able to isolate who may be at more risk of what coronavirus could do to them. And you at the same time are putting yourself into danger. I mean, we know all the people that are first responders, that are working in the hospitals, working in medical environments, are putting themselves in danger. But imagine if you go work in a supermarket stocking the shelves. You're creating danger for yourself. So that's why these are jobs, in my opinion, very much for people under age 50, where the trend line around the world and in the United States shows extremely low risk in terms of your life from coronavirus. A miserable illness, maybe, but not life and death for most people under 50. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.